Well, welcome. My name's Shell or Shelby, um, if you prefer. I've, that name crossed the gender line a long time ago, so I just shorten it up and then get other weird questions. So you want to call me either one, that's fine. Uh, Reverend Doctor, Pastor, uh, Chief of Sinners, as Paul called himself. I like Chief of Sinners. Uh, I think that's better uh, for a pastor, so you can call me Chief of Sinners. But anyway, Shell, I'm here today. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, we have guests usually once a month, and then I teach and or we're rotating in uh, staff as well as we grow uh, about three times a month. I like to preach in threes. There's something about threes in every culture and every time. So um, the fourth strike and you're out, right? Or third strike and you're out rather. But So uh, this Sunday, I'm picking up in a series that our guest, April Yamasaki, last Sunday kicked off for us on belonging. And we're going to spend about three Sundays uh, talking about, well, two Sundays talking about belonging in August. And so we're going to unpack some of it today and some of it next Sunday. At the close of the service this morning, on the first Sunday of the month, has been our tradition here to celebrate communion. Uh, We're going to do it a little differently. Uh, We're going to have, is Donna here this morning? Oh, yeah. Oh, she's, oh, there she is back. Okay, she's holding down the, all right. So we're going to have our elders and their spouses have a tray of cups and a, a tray of bread. And two of the, one will stand up here, a couple will stand up here, and one couple in the back. And we're going to receive communion by standing, and, and we will be worshiping as we do that. We will be singing and receiving. We'll do the words ahead of time. And uh, I have been warning you for months, and so I encourage you to do that. We're not changing our theology of communion. We still believe that uh, I'm not the priest mediating over it. As you receive, there's a sense of movement in the body as well, and there's a sense of worship as we do that. And there's different ways to receive communion, and so we want to be open to that. Uh, so I encourage you this morning to participate. And again, if it will break you out of your comfort zone just a little bit, we are using the small cups though, so I'm not, you're not dipping this morning, uh, but we encourage you to participate in communion as we close if you're following Christ. So this morning, we're going to get into the series on belonging. And some of the key verses for this passage that we're going to talk about, or key verses, rather, for this series, one is in Galatians 3, 28. And I think we have Galatians chapter 3 uh, on the screen. I'm going to start with verse 26, and then we'll read through it. Would you stand with me this morning? I was going to have David do this, but I forgot. So please stand with me if you're able to do so. Uh, we will revisit this passage a bit here this Sunday and next And then a couple others as well. So Paul is teaching and preaching. In fact, some of us were at an N.T. Wright course on Galatians, uh, and we'll dig into that a little bit here. But it's a church that's division. It's divided. It's a church in disunity. It's a church that's wrestling with what does it mean that Christianity has come uh, as part of Judaism and has come uh, come out in some ways, but is really continuous with as well. And so Paul is dealing with this all throughout the book of Galatians. And the real issue is church unity. What holds us together? How do we belong together? And this passage, he says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. And sons and daughters, it's meant to be inclusive here. For in Jesus Christ you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither, and this is basically dividing all of humanity, by the way, when it says Jew nor Greek, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray and dig in together. Lord, thank you for your presence here. And it is an honor to preach and teach your word 
in real local context, local time in this place called Pilgrim. And I am a saint and sinner in process like everyone else here. And so I do pray that your anointing would be upon your word. And that in the scandalous work of preaching, you would do what only you can do is to cause us to come alive in you, to stir us to be different and to see that there is a new humanity that you have called us to be as followers of Jesus, not only called us, but also empowered us by your Holy Spirit. So we thank you for that. And God, continue to work through this theme of belonging in August as we move towards this end of summer together in Jesus' name. And if you're willing to say amen, amen, Amen. be seated, please. I'm always a little scared of summer Sundays because you just never know what's going to happen. I figure it's a win if it's more than me and my family and the worship team, right? So uh, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. If you you need to look at your other neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. (laughs) It so happens that the schedule to talk about belonging is part of this building block series. We spent a, a month, more than a month on believing and talked about the Trinity and God the Father, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And, and now we're moving into this sense of belonging, sort of key building blocks of what it means to be a Christian. But there have been a lot of things in the news that have reminded me of the importance of the church and that we are an alternative kingdom within kingdoms of the world And we are here to demonstrate a different way of living into humanity. Some weeks ago, Donald Trump, uh, the U.S. president, uh, if I need to say that, I don't think I do, but U.S. president talked about this idea of some representatives who he didn't like what they were saying, and instead of confronting them ideas, he said we need to send them back to their countries. And of course, that is loaded with all kinds of historic language and, and racism and all kinds of things going on there. And others that would defend him and all of that. And, and ironically, one of those people that he said go back to the country has also been on record for years being anti-Semitic and racist against Jews and then denying it and then going back and doing it again. And so you have this tension there and, and the poll political people in the States are trying to focus either on one or the other. But the fact is both of them and more than one in the case uh, are using racist and loaded language to divide and tribalize and make points with their different political bases. We had in our local press, uh, President Xi, uh, not directly, but through the United Front, putting in some of our Chinese press that calling on Han Chinese to be blood loyal to the motherland, not even mentioning Canadian, if you've been born here or you've come here, and, and this blood loyalty and I'm from the States. If you use that kind of language in the States, if, if Trump used that language that directly, it, it would, the media would literally lose their minds because that's classic in the States, KKK language, blood loyalty. It, it, the KKK would use that for white people or European people, and here you have this happening in a whole nother. I think we may deal with privilege within different cultures, but at the root of it, it's trying to appeal to something visceral and tribal and divisive in order to bolster the power of the demagogues or these political actors who want to control and centralize and dominate people. We just had this shooting in El Paso where a guy comes in, uh, I think it was to Walmart, and he shoots it up and he has a manifesto about hatred towards Mexicans. Think about that. In South in Texas, where it was historically part of Mexico. Well, anyway, he's got a lot of problems, but this racism, this division. Churches sometimes get divided this way. Many of our churches in Vancouver come as first-generation immigrant churches, 
homogenous, same culture, same language. We started out that way. Many churches today are, and I think that's good, and it's necessary when you're trying to integrate into a new place. My relatives were uh, immigrants into the States, fleeing religious persecution, bloody persecution, and wanting freedom. They were Mennonites, and, and they created these monocultural churches. But once we get past that, we need to ask, what is the kingdom and what is the local church supposed to look like? What are the models that we see in the church and scripture? And we find that while that is useful for first generation, we need to be conscious as believers that our faith is not built and tied into our ethnicity or our social economic class, which is a bigger issue once people get established, or in our education, but that we are conscious about this tearing down walls because we are a community where all belong because of Jesus' blood, not our ethnic or social economic or educational or other ways of, of stratifying and separating ourselves out in culture. This might be, you can handle this word, right? Amen? Okay, okay. Well, I got a half of you with me. I don't have to have my suitcase packed today, but maybe next week. Okay. Take some coffee, although this is the caffeinated. This is the good stuff in the lobby that Checklon makes sure is there. Thank you, Checklon. By the way, let's give it up for Checklon for making coffee for us. So we want to unpack this idea of belonging. In Galatians, And throughout the New Testament, there is a word for faith called pistis. And uh, one of the the scholars, Teresa Morgan, puts it this way. said, pistis, or faith, is first and foremost, faith, the word faith, neither a body of beliefs, like sometimes we talk about the faith that we have and we think of like the creed or the North American Baptist statement of faith. But she says, it's neither a body of beliefs nor a function of the heart or the mind. But faith primarily, hear me this morning, faith primarily is a relationship which creates community. Faith, and, and the Latin version, fides or faithfulness, sustain communities and are embedded in our practices and our institutions. Faith or trust is another word. It's not only a force in communities, but it's crucial for our formation and evolution. This idea that when we put our, our trust in Jesus, this faith forms relationship. Jesus creates community, a new humanity. And all throughout the book of Galatians, the issue is, will we be a unified church or will we be divided, in this case, based on the practices of Judaism and those Gentiles or non-Jews coming into the early church? And Paul is saying, no, in Christ there is a new humanity, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but you are all one in Christ, Galatians 3, 28. The passage Excuse me. The passage that was read during worship this morning, 1 Corinthians, speaks also of this idea of the body, another image of the unity or the belonging of the local church. And I want to spend time unpacking this before we drill deeper, because this is crucial to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You and I are called into this new humanity together. We are one together. We are not to be divided by these other things. We can celebrate those differences, but if they become the tail wagging the dog, we've got a problem. And sometimes in the church, that certainly has happened. And certainly our politicians and the kingdoms of the world seek to divide us based on those things. That's why Christianity has always been joyfully subversive of empire and these absolute claims of kingdoms of the world and say, no, 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 there's something else. You were created for more than that. 
And so in 1 Corinthians, he says this idea, we are all in one body of many members, diversity and unity, but we are one body. I think sometimes we focus too much on the many members part, which we need to do that in terms of using your gifts in the church and service and home church and compassion and all the things of living out Jesus' teaching. But there's also this focus on the one, but you are one body brought together by one spirit and one Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in one baptism, which is the baptism into Jesus in the church. One body, many members. And he goes through and says, the eye doesn't say to the hand or the foot, I don't need you. We need both in operation. So this image of a physical body that you are, we are, local churches are the body of Christ. And each of these bodies, uh, one when we think of it all together, but individually in in this local context as well, that each member matters. In fact, just to make sure you're still tracking with me and awake, it's a little warm up here, but hope you're all fine. Would, would you look at your neighbor and say, I need you? Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, that was easy. Now look at someone else and say, I need you too. <laughs> we, we, we need each other in the body. So let's speak a little more about this. Paul sees the community of believers in several different ways. There's a sense of an alternative city or alternative polis uh, that the church is within the cities and the kingdoms of the world. There's also this sense <clears throat> that he uses that we are a household, that we are brothers and sisters. In fact, old-timers and many believers' church traditions, whether they're Baptist or Anabaptist or Pentecostal or Wesleyan or whatever, would, would refer to each other as brothers and sisters. I'm a little old school like that. I may call you brother or sister sometime. Don't get weirded out. It's because through Christ's blood, we have been made family through what he has done. That may frighten you this morning. We thought, well, all of my family are going to be uh, a Mennonite background or, 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 or whatever, or all my family are going to be uh, East Asian, or all my family are going to be African, or all my family, pick, pick a continent and then there's people within it, you know? But in Christ, guess what? Your genetic tree just exploded <laughs> because it includes those who call him Lord. Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees And within Judaism of the time, the nuclear family or the blood family was super high value and within it, patriarchy of male. And this idea that your blood family was the most important thing and and so the Pharisees, his his brothers and mother come by and the Pharisees say, hey, your brother, your mother's here and uh, they want to talk to you. And Jesus is like, who are my brothers? Uh, Who is my brother? Who is my mother? He said, those who do the will of my father in heaven. There's another sense of family that is formed. Now, nuclear families matter, they're important, but they're not to be idolized. And that's subversive teaching of New Testament, of Jesus, and then later on the New Testament authors. In fact, for your family, your, your direct relation, your kinship circle to be healthy, you need the spiritual family so the kinship circle doesn't become an idolatrous thing. That's pretty subversive in most cultures, and yet that's part and parcel of the Christian faith. So let's look a little more at these verses in Galatians 3. Verses 3.26, if you're following along, he said, you are all children of God through the faithfulness which is in the Messiah, Jesus. That because of Jesus' faithfulness, we are brought into this family and we are brothers and sisters together. I think all of us share in this inheritance that he gives us. All of us experience this freedom from sin and brokenness, this exodus. 
But there's this sense of unity that is vital to authentic Christianity. If you're sitting, and, and later on in Galatians, he says that they're dividing and devouring each other, that they're nitpicking one each other to death, that they're dysfunctional, and so that's why he's part why he's writing this letter, complaining about one another, and this person didn't do that right, and this person, there is a destructiveness that can enter into a church that destroys the spirit of belonging when we forget that it's all about Jesus, he's our source of unity. Whether or not I wear pants or shorts is not my source of unity. Whether I'm wearing a suit or a t-shirt with a big old East Van cross on it is not our source of unity at Pilgrim Church. Whether or not we sit in pews or chairs is not our source of unity. Whether or not our worship service involves multiple hymns or it involves charismatic worship, whether it involves a piano or organ or guitar or bazooki, it doesn't matter. Those are not our source of unity. Do we got any Greeks in the house this morning? Okay, if people ask me sometimes if I'm Greek, can't figure out what I am. Are you Greek, Jewish, or Iranian? Well, neither, actually. None, but anyway, uh, bazooki player. Bazooki, we need bazooki, man. After the baby's born, get on the bazooki. No, okay. <laughs> uh, our source of unity is not these things. It's not this building, and it really isn't even the neighborhood, but local churches have a mission to the neighborhood. It is Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice, his story, his death and resurrection, and seeing our lives through the lens of Jesus. And we need to be careful with that, because sometimes we take our, once we become Christians, what are our secondary cultures important, and important for a sense of, some sense of identity, our main identity begins to shift And how do we become the best version of ourselves in Christ through his sacrifice, through his death, resurrection, and his teachings? Verse 27, you see every one of you has been baptized into Messiah and you have put on Messiah. Interesting, the image of baptism in water, which we do by immersion uh, in, in believers' churches often, is this symbol of being clothed with something. Filled with the Spirit and clothed in Messiah. We put on Christ. We get new clothes, in a sense. So whatever our markers were in terms of clothing of the world, it doesn't matter. It's the clothed in Christ, the spiritual reality that matters. And then that verse, of course, that we are focusing on, there is no longer Jew nor Greek. For the Jewish people, you were either Jewish or you were not. For Amish Mennonites, you were either Amish or you were an Englisher. So if you, were, uh, you, you, you spoke low German and you were within that little tribal group, or you weren't. There's many of these examples we could use even today. I, I, loved, I had former Amish in a previous church, and they said, well, an Englisher could mean anybody who simply wasn't part of our group. So if you were, uh, you know, many of us are from Asia. If you were Asia, you were actually an Englisher to the Amish. <laughs> if you were from India, you were, an a- you were an Englisher. If you were from Africa, if you were from England, you certainly were an Englisher. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's this idea of this in-group and out-group. And, Every church, we probably have practices. He said, well, you needed to do this in the past, or you need to do that. I was saved in Pentecostal church. The older generation said, you got to get rid of your playing cards. No playing cards. So, of course, what do humans do? We improvise. So, Rook becomes Assemblies of God poker, you know. Uh, <laughs> we did all these external markers instead of asking the primary thing about where are you at with Jesus as the main marker. Slave nor free, economic div- distinctions are broken down in Christ. There is neither male nor female. This gender uh, distinction, we still value gender distinctiveness for sure, but he's saying in the body, in the church, these are not the primary markers of your role in the body anymore, as they were in Judaism. Only males could do certain things. So these things change in Christ. And he says, finally, if you belong to Messiah, you stand to inherit the promise. 
All of these folks are brought in to what were exclusive promises of the blood tribal family are now for all people because of Messiah Jesus. Okay, are you still with me? Amen? Awake, say yes, amen, means so be it, or yes, amen. There are three big concepts of belonging that we're going to unpack this Sunday and next. Let me share a story about this idea of belonging. In October uh, 2011, the Associated Press ran this story about a name-changing ceremony for girls in Mumbai, India. At birth, these 285 girls had been named Nakusha or Nakushi, which means unwanted in the primary in Hindi. The name unwanted was widely given and still is in some cases to girls across India where families value sons much more than daughters, and neither male nor female. Here we have a, a more modern cultural expression. And as a result, female babies have been aborted or neglected at an alarming rate. But this renaming ceremony was an attempt to give these girls a new identity. And the article goes on and said this, of the 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes and braids and bows and their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names, along with small flower bouquet. And some of the girls chose their new names that meant prosperous or beautiful or good or even very tough. One girl who had been named Nakuza by her grandfather, who was disappointed in her birth, said, Now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by my new name, and that makes me very happy. This is a place of belonging. In fact, some people, when they became Christians, in some cultural context in Europe and elsewhere, would receive a Christian name upon their baptism into the church. I'm not saying you need to do that, but if you feel you need to do that, some until today, even today within Eastern Orthodoxy, if you become an Eastern Orthodox Christian, you take up a new name. In addition to your given name, you use both of them, but there's this sense that in Christ, you have a new name. You are beloved. You belong. You are prosperous. You are beautiful. You are handsome. You are good. You have been blessed with all things in Christ. You have now been grafted into the family of Jesus by his blood, and you are now a blood relative because of what his sacrifice on the cross. He draws us into this family. So the first big concept we'll unpack, and we'll leave it at that this morning, is the idea of covenant. Covenant. This is a kingdom of God word that you're going to hear a lot more from me. Covenant lies at the heart of the biblical understanding of who God is and how God works with the world. God enters into covenantal relationships, which we'll unpack here, throughout the biblical narrative. In fact, one theologian said the Bible is basically all about the story of God entering into these covenants with people to reveal himself and to redeem humanity and to help us flourish as fully alive humans. I think in order to understand the idea of covenant, I've talked about this before, there's a contrast between covenant and contract. Covenant and contract. In the West, at least, we have lost this concept of covenant. We used to have it when there was a little more sort of nominal Christianity. But simply put, a covenant stands in contrast to contract. A contract is where people enter into what's called a quid pro quo agreement. You do this for me, I do this for you. You don't do this for me, I won't do this for you, and here are the consequences. That's more of a contract. With a contract, there's an agreement, and that agreement's mainly about protecting yourself or your family group or your business. 
But a covenant is where you commit yourself with promises to someone else for their good. Where you commit yourself to someone with promises for their good. It sustains a relationship. Again, let's keep drawing this out for a minute. Contract is something like an employment agreement or a purchase agreement or a house purchase or a car purchase or something of that sort. The contract, a gym membership is a contract. A covenant, however, is like marriage. Are Are you tracking with me this morning? Amen? Yes? Some of you? Okay. There's a difference. This concept of covenant is important because as we talk about kingdom and church, it all flows together. A contract, again, is this idea of what we're going to do to protect myself, and if it goes south, what we do if it goes, if it goes south, if it goes wrong. So let me do a, a list of contrasts. A contract is about protecting yourself versus promising for the sake of someone else. A contract is about a deal-making. I sign a deal with my car, and we almost always making deals with cars. You feel dirty and awful and like everyone's been used in the context. Maybe you don't feel that way when buying a car, but I do feel like I need to go like dip myself in the Ganges or something after buying it's just awful uh, it's about a deal how am I going to get the best deal out of each other versus a pledge of faithfulness and sustaining a contract is between people a covenant is about that whole person not just pieces it's about the whole relationship a contract is all about the law. What are my legal rights? What am I entitled to? What, 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 let's get this all spelled out. What are my legal rights? And, and there's roles for contracts, mind you, but that is not what the church ultimately is. Versus about love. What makes for flourishing and aliveness? A contract is evaluative. We're always evaluating. Are we getting our deal? Am I getting my money's worth out of this? Did I? That's why at car deals, you always feel like, oh, ugh. Ah. It's evaluative versus accepting and growing together. A contract is conditional. It has an endpoint. Somehow it fin- finishes up one way or the other. But a covenant is unconditional and is meant to sustain on and on and on. That's why when we talk about Christianity and Judaism, it's better to speak of Christianity as a continuation. Now the house of Israel has shifted. We are grafted in to that original covenant and the covenant is now fulfilled in Christ for all people. In fact, that's another thing we can say about covenant in Christianity is Jesus fulfills both sides, the God side and the human side, and by grace we participate in it. Conditional versus unconditional. Scott Squain says this, he said, all God's communication is covenant Self-communication. Hear this. This is a bit steep, but it's good. By means of covenant, God binds himself to creation in a relationship of care and commitment and binds himself in a, in a relationship of obedient service. By God's covenantal word, he creates, redeems, consummates, makes the world happen. I'll just leap off for a second here. I know we're getting, getting there. Uh, Are you getting this idea of covenant, this first big kingdom concept of covenant before we get into kingdom and church? This is how we are meant to be. We are meant to be covenant partners, first with God. When you say yes to Jesus' offer of grace and redemption, you are beginning a covenantal relationship. Too often the evangelical church has focused on salvation in the legal sense, and there's some of that in New Testament for sure. But covenant is the bigger concept. 
And the deeper concept, law only goes so far, covenant goes all the way down to the very nature of the heart of God. And so we are covenantal people. We are people who enter into relationship with one another because of Jesus' work on both sides of the equation, the human and the divine. So we are to be people that we belong because we enter into this this relationship that is about sustaining the other, blessing the other. Jesus said, if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. There is a dynamic Holy Spirit power released when we move from contract thinking to covenant thinking about the church. When we begin to see that in home church, it's about building relationship, it's about being vulnerable, and that we are there for each other, even when we are different and we disagree, we have said that love matters more and we will press beyond that. This covenant versus contract. What else could we say about it? Some of you treat the church like a contract. Well, pastor didn't do communion like I wanted to do communion, therefore I'm out. He has broken the contract. This unwritten contract, by the way, is not any documents I've signed. Uh, Ah, we're changing things. Well, yeah, I was brought in to bring change. That's part of the role. But uh, my contract is broken. I want out. But covenant says, what's the bigger picture? Jesus' blood, belonging, and seeing more people brought into the kingdom of God and the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Are we sustaining that? How can we sustain relationship? I like how scripture talks about in Galatians, he says, to stop deal with your anger because anger uh, keeps sustaining leads to a type of murder where we distance and we push the other away and we isolate and it begins to destroy us thinking we're judging them we're actually bringing damnation onto ourselves that's contract versus covenant law versus walking in covenantal grace that he has poured out i know this is a bit of a tough theological concept But it is really important to understand if you're going to get what a local church is all about and the kingdom of God is about. It tears down these walls and shows another way of engaging with each other. Ooh, well, as usual, I went a little long on that one, but it's good. We'll pick up with the second and the third one next week. So let me finish covenant up. When you follow Jesus... You are swearing allegiance to a new king. You're entering into a new community of the church and you're making a covenant with other followers of Jesus. I don't like the word membership for the church unless you can remember 1 Corinthians where Paul's using we are one body with many members. That's probably the most biblical connection to the language of membership. But in most of our society, membership is like a gym membership or a social club. I pay for the access to it, and if I use it, I use it. If I don't, I don't. They collect a few dollars, and they're not going to bother me. Covenant says, no, we're in this together. We are family. We have said that through Christ, we are becoming family. That's why when someone leaves the church without having those crucial conversations, and they just get up and leave, it is so destructive because the church is designed to be a family, and if one of your family members just stops showing up and, and doesn't talk about it and doesn't deal with it, it's highly destructive. Now, if the church is toxic, there's, there's other issues there for sure. But there's a sense of family. And there's a sense of marriage or, or, or children, brothers and sisters. So how we handle conflict changes as well. It's not just a gym membership. It's not just buying a car. It's not just signing up for a club. But we are called to be covenant partners, covenant makers, and people who are in covenant relationship with each other. And so, 
for the first message in this belonging, I challenge you that we would be a people who get into each other's lives in a kingdom kind of love-centered way. I'll share one more little interesting tidbit here. This was reported some time ago in the Mount Washington. It said, God from the beginning said, it is not good for man to be alone. And there was some studies done, data collected from 148 studies involving more than 300,000 people over three decades. People who have no social life are 50% more likely to die early than those who are well-connected. And those who socialize regularly with family and friends live an average of 3.7 years longer than those who lead isolated lives. Bert Ichino, the professor who led this for the University of Utah and North Carolina, said, friends and supportive people encourage us to have better health practices, see a doctor, exercise more. They may also help you by directly by making you feel you have something to live for. Uchinos went on to say that the emotional support people receive from those close to them can help put their problems into perspective. By having secure relationships and feeling love, people live more secure and calm lives. Has that been your experience of local church or not? I submit to you, if it hasn't, we have work to do. And if it has, we still have work to do. (laughs) To be a covenant people bonded together by the blood and love of Jesus for the sake of the world, for the sake of the kingdom. And that power in covenantal community breaks the power of sin and death, the destructive forces within us and in the world around us. But if we don't get the community right, we don't have the power source in operation in order to experience that kind of freedom. Let me pray, and then we'll move to communion. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And as we unpack belonging, first of all, covenant and then kingdoms and church, that we would be a covenant people, that we would not see each other as, as sort of uh, folks that are here to meet some contractual obligation, albeit unwritten or sometimes often unsaid, but that we are here for the benefit of one another and those outside of the church as well that we would be covenant people when we talk about our relationships as brothers and sisters, in our marriage relationships, in our relationships with our bodies and sexuality, some of that we get into as well. The covenant keeping is a whole range of things, but it is foundational. And when our, our society, and really in the West, really thinks contractual, what can I get out of someone else or something else for my own benefit, that we would learn that that is not kingdom thinking. That's destructive, and we need to flip it on its head. How can we bless and serve and show another way of being human? And about the tribalism, the racism, the division, social, economic, cultural, or otherwise, God, many of us have been enculturated into these things, even if we don't recognize it fully. I know I don't always recognize it fully in myself, but we all have it to varying degrees and our families of origin. So Lord, help us to see that and to show a beautiful new humanity that values our distinctiveness and yet also seeks to be unified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.